So, if you've noticed, part of our parking lot is now cut off over there. No, it's bad. Oh, boot, whatever. Okay, so we got the signs out showing you where to park. Here's the cool thing, though. You don't have to try and make your way out back over here. There's actually an out on the back of that parking lot back there. So if you just pull straight out the back, you, you don't have to fight the traffic. You're just there. If you turn left and try and get on the skyway, if you're not turning right, you're probably going to be there all day. But you can go right and up to that traffic light. Just, just thinking of you, apparently. You're welcome. We have made it so easy for you. Uh, the men's, uh, the men's group, we are doing breakfast next Saturday, uh, which means we are gathering over some bacon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> what did Jim Gaffigan say about bacon? He goes, he goes, pigs are amazing. They can take like something useless like an apple and they turn it into bacon. So anyway, we will have some bacon next week, uh, 8.15, it'll probably be upstairs in the youth room, but so again, you'll park over here, but walk in there, and we'll get together with some other dudes, and we'll talk about some dude stuff. That's my very big way of saying, I don't know what we're talking about next week yet, but there you go. <laughs> uh, if you are newer to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables uh, throughout the room. And on those, there's something I'm going to have you all look at today uh, by the time we get to the end of it. If you have a smartphone, though, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live in Uversion, and we'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes and verses and questions and all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. Stand with me for reading of God's Word. We will get started. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. And it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in the gifts that you have provided. Uh, that we would be a people who honor you by the way in which we live. Uh, that the glory that you gain is partly because of how your children return to honor you. So teach us to use all the gifts that you have to lift up your great name. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in Pharisee University. This is week seven. Uh, Pharisee University is where we teach you how to be a Pharisee, or more importantly, how not to be one. Uh, it's called PU for short because it stinks, because Pharisees. It's our decor. It's our frat house that, that you're looking at. Um, we've taken a lot of ideas and points, paragraphs and stuff from Larry Osborne's book called Accidental Pharisees. And I think if we're honest, we are all Pharisees at certain points and places in our lives. But today, I, when I think about what we're talking about, I think we do it even more so with what we talk about today. And so we're going to talk today about our gifts and our priorities and how we think everybody else's gifts and their priorities should be the same ones that we have. That we think when something is important to us, it has to be important to everybody else or they're just not listening to God, or God is not talking to them. But if he was, they would do exactly what we do, because what we do is what God wants everybody to do. And that, that's kind of what Pharisees did. So if you want to be a good Pharisee, you have to assume that all of your talents and your passions and your gifts given by the grace of God should be everyone's gifts and talents and passion given by God. Larry Osborne in the book likes to call this chocolate-covered arrogance. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. And by the time I was 17 to 18, I didn't really learn much about Jesus at all. But when I was 18, I was attending this church. And hey, I'm an adult, as most 18-year-olds are. And, and so they had me watch some junior hires as we went to this camp with them. Who would do that? 
Anyway, so not around here. Anyway, so we get to this camp, and the speaker's up front, and as he's talking to everybody, he says, he says, stand up if you believe Jesus is God. And everybody stands up, and I'm like, okay. So I stand up. And then he says, now stay standing if you can tell me in the scriptures where Jesus himself claims to be God. Everybody sat down except for three people, and they were all wrong. They were all wrong. Now, today, I can tell you exactly where Jesus himself claims to be God out of the scriptures, but it's interesting that nobody really knew. Uh, I got home, and I'm home for about a week, and the Jehovah's Witnesses showed up to my front door. You always want to have a good theological go? Have Jehovah's Witnesses show up to your front door. So they show up, and, and I'm trying to talk about Jesus and, and how cool he is, and I just get tied in this theological pretzel with them. And after they left, I said, that is never going to happen to me again. So I started to read the scriptures, Bible commentaries, theology books, not always in that order, but I started reading all of this stuff. Now today, it's weird, because I cannot remember most of your names. I can't remember where I left my keys this morning. I can't remember I fed my dog before I left the house this morning. But I can remember theology. I think that's a gift from God. But when I first started reading the scriptures, I thought it was just about my dedication to Jesus. I started to wonder how anybody could have a deep love for Jesus and not read their Bible every single day. I mean, it's such a great gift from God. How can everybody not read it every single day? I started to think about all those people who sat down in that room. And rather than thinking they were just misinformed like me or didn't really study, they're all just lazy. That's, that's their problem. I didn't think that maybe my growing hunger for the understanding and knowing of Jesus was part of the gifts that God had given me. Now, doing what I do today, I think it's, you know, just like God would give me a passion to understand this book he wants me to teach out of all the time and teach people about. But in my immaturity and my zeal and my passion, I saw my greater commitment to Jesus as being higher and better than anybody else. And that is gift projection. That is assuming everybody has to be exactly the same way that we are. Now, we do this in two different ways. Okay, the first one is called low level. Low level is what we all have to some degree. This means we all see life around us. We interpret life through our experiences. We all have a lens through which we view the world. And so this is what typically leads to misunderstandings and assumptions. We assume that other people's motives and their feelings have to be the same as ours. Uh, This is one of the reasons why cookie-cutter discipleship almost never works, because everybody really is just a little bit different. It's why at Element we spend a lot of energy and time and money focusing on our gospel communities, because we believe that each person is an individual, and if they're in a gospel community together, they're going to be known by other people, and they'll be more readily discipled in that context. Larry Osborne says, Low-level projection usually won't tear apart the body of Christ, just give us some good indigestion. Now, the other side of this is what we call high-level or full-blown gift projection. On the outside, it looks like spiritual zeal, like mine did, but on the inside, it's pride and it is arrogance. It causes us to look down on other people. It brings discord between ministry. It sows a whole lot of guilt between people. Full-blown gift projection makes us think God is pleased with us and he is angry at everybody else. This is kind of like legalism we talked about last week. It usually can start from a place that's really, really good, Spiritual passion. I mean, Romans 12, 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Yeah, I want to be fervent. I want to serve the Lord. But sometimes that fervency can lead to bad things. But it started in a really good place. I think part of the problem is that most of us in America, when we read the Bible and we read the word you, we think it's like me. You. Oh, me. Me. God's talking to me. Rather than understanding, a lot of times when it says you in the scriptures, it's plural. It's like All of you. It's not just you. It's 
Y'all, yeah. Maybe I should have worn snaps this morning. Okay, I don't know. Okay, but 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 it's all of you now. So, so what happens because we think it's a personal pronoun is we start like driving down the street and a light stays long, you know, green longer than it's supposed to. And we think, oh, wow, God did that for me. Not saying God couldn't do it for you, but I highly doubt your light attendant is in jo- God's job description. Or you go down to Costco and you get a parking spot right in the front. And you're like, oh, God is blessing me today. I know y'all do it. Right? <laughs> See, y'all. Right. You, I know you all do that. And, but, but, I mean, th- seriously, think about it. Do you think really, you know, uh, finding a parking spot for you is like on top of God's priority list? Maybe. I'm saying it's not. I'm just saying that, how he dealt it. But, but this is what happens in America. We have this hyper-individualized Christianity that makes us think that God is all about us. God is not about us. God is about him and his glory. That's what God is about. But this whole idea that, oh, you, it's me, it's a personal pronoun, takes root. Because if God finds me a parking spot, well, obviously, then my gifts are more important than your gifts. And this leads to a view that we don't really need other people, but everybody else needs us. And this is not a new view. Paul talks about this a lot throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is one of the reasons why Paul says that the body of Christ, all y'all, you know, we, we, we are like a body. That's what we are like. And so he says, you know, there's, there's eyes and nose and mouth and ears and feet and arms. Like there's all these things and all these things make a body work. But sometimes, you know, we get so myopic in how we view things. Like maybe you're an eye and you can see things really, really well. And so what you are, have a tendency to start to do is celebrate the beauty of eyesight, metaphorically speaking. Okay? Then you find other people who love eyesight, and you ask them, and you find ways to sharpen your vision. You talk about all the problems of people who can't see the same way that you can. Maybe you even leave your church and find one that focuses. See what I did there? Right? Yeah, okay. On vision. And eventually you no longer notice that you can't hear or you can't speak or you can't walk anywhere because all you are is just a big eyeball. That's what happens when we think our gifts should be everybody else's gifts. And if you start to live that way and you see that, the best I can tell you is if you notice it happening in your life is repent, run into Jesus' arms until you have an appreciation of the entire body of Christ. I think a lot of the importance of how we see things comes out of our culture and not from the scriptures. And that's a problem. Like when the world became smaller with air travel and boat travel, foreign missions became a really big deal. And foreign missions are a big deal. Don't misunderstand me. I think they're very, very important. But for a while, all the way up through the 80s and 90s, there's this idea that every serious Christian, if you are serious about Jesus, you are called to oversee missions. That's what you're called to, every single person. So, so churches started to make these mission departments. And so we talk about you know, who we give to and how we send people over there. And they all seem to forget the idea that we are all missionaries, no matter where you live, your home, your work, your school, your neighborhood. You live there, so you're called there. Now, in the late 90s, early 21st century, it all became about leadership. God wants you to be a leader. Everybody's supposed to be a leader. God doesn't want you to toil away in obscurity with no fruit. If you surrender to Jesus, people are going to follow you. Be a leader. And now, today, there's this huge push about causes. It's like the social justice movement and the mental health movement, the healthy kids movement. It starts to overtake the real gospel. I mean, think about this. 
Not to, like, go after anybody, but I guess I'm going to. Uh, when I was putting together this message, Joel Olstein did this interview with the Huffington Post. And this is what he says his core message is. His core message, he says, is to is helping people let go of their past, reach their dreams, have a healthy self-image, and raise good children. Now, if you've been at Element any length of time, what is our core message? Jesus. That is the message. It is not about us. We believe Jesus will bring these things, but our core message is always Jesus. But today, because we're socially responsible, and that's what our culture pushes for, all of a sudden, people who have maybe gifts of mercy, they become like the rock stars today. Oh, you have the gift of mercy? Oh, look, oh, it's so amazing. Oh, they get put on a pedestal. And when you get put on a pedestal, it's really hard not to look at everybody else who doesn't maybe have your gift of mercy and be like, oh, what's wrong with all those people? If they just love God more, they'd have more mercy just like me. And you start to become a Pharisee. I mean, seriously, what, what if God has given you some gifts and they're not the flavor of the day? You know, they're not the whole thing that the church is running after today. What starts to happen is you have like self-criticism, self-doubt. You maybe even start to live in a little bit of guilt. I tell you, becoming that kind of Pharisee pushes guilt on others and puts guilt on ourselves. You see this every time a new book that comes out of, you need to do more for God type book, one of those. Tons of Christians always worry about never doing enough. And yet they give and they live on modest incomes and they serve. Oh, is it enough? Am I doing enough? Can I tell you, rarely do half-hearted people worry about that kind of stuff. Okay, so if you think about that, you can probably take a little bit of guilt off yourself. I have a friend. He is constantly on the cycle. He gives his time, his money, his energy, but he also loves to enjoy God's creation. He travels a lot. He hikes a lot, but he has a lot of guilt about it. I think that breaks Jesus' heart. I mean, he forgets that Jesus is the one who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest. Jesus promised lighter loads. It was the Pharisees who put tons of burdens on people. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. 1 John 2.1, Jesus is then called our advocate. We must remember who does the gifting, who that we actually serve is. I mean, if God made you to be a foot, be a foot. Be a foot. I don't care if you're like, oh, I got athlete's foot on my foot. It, be a foot. You don't have to be a nose or an eye. The body of Christ is getting nowhere without you. Be a foot. Be a foot. I mean, I honestly have some people I know that I feel inadequate around. Totally inadequate. Like, they always seem to be able to work Jesus into a conversation just right. They're really smart. They're right on top of, like, all the, all the current cultural stuff. They can move Jesus into, into everything. You know, that's not me. That, that's kind of awkward to me sometimes. Larry Osborne, in, in the book, talks about a friend that he has that's bummed if they go out to a restaurant and he doesn't have the waitress make a profession for Christ by the time that he leaves because apparently he's really good at that. If I try to have a serious conversation with the waitress, I'm like a stalker or a creeper. That's what I look like. I mean, I, I can't do that. You ever hear these crazy stories like, oh, I was on an airplane and God had this person sit down right next to me. By the end of the flight, they believed in Jesus. It was, you ever hear those stories? That has never happened to me. Ever happened to me. If, if I'm on a flight and my wife isn't with me, honestly, I pray that God would leave the seat empty. God, please don't let anybody sit there. In your holy name, amen. Right? But you know what normally happens? Some dude smells like he's been running around the airport for five days without a shower, comes and he sits down next to me. And I'm like, God, why? What? <laughs> or maybe a mom with like, bought one seat for her and she's holding her two colicky twins. Ah! 
that? I'm like, noise-canceling headphones. They don't block it out. I mean, I'm just, I'm just honest. Now, to some people, this would indicate that, you know, I fail to grasp the severity of eternity. You know, because and, and, you know, if I really, you know, cared about that, I wouldn't worry about being kicked out of a restaurant or I wouldn't worry about the colicky twins and they fell asleep. I'd be all, hey, and the twins would wake up and I'd be like, let's talk about Jesus right now or, or something, something like that. I mean, Larry Osborne talks about he feels guilty sometimes for not having other people's gifts. That's called gift envy. I think we all kind of feel that way as well. Gift envy is the opposite of gift projection because it's wanting to be a Pharisee but thinking you're not good enough or maybe self-righteous enough. So for me, it's like things like evangelism. And don't misunderstand me. I do talk about Jesus. I have a care for people. I mean, I got, I'm a pastor, right? I, I have to. But, but I have a hard time talking to strangers about Jesus. I feel awkward like, hey, so what do you think about those Dodgers? And what do you think about Jesus? And where are you going to go when you die? You can answer those in any order you want. I mean, it's, it's kind of an awkward conversation. But people feel this way about Bible teachers and missionaries and risk takers. Oh, well, I could just be like them. So let's talk about those for just a minute, okay? So evangelists, okay? Evangelists are very important to the body of Christ, very important. But a lot of time, evangelists forget that their comfort in talking to everyone is a God-given gift. Most of us are never going to be comfortable aggressively trying to turn conversations. I don't think it's sin or apathy. I think it's how God made us. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't have to talk about Jesus. You should be talking about Jesus. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. And again, evangelists are important. But we've got to remember that God has not called all of us to be evangelists in the sense of that gift. We all talk about Jesus. We all live for Jesus. That's very, very important. But he has called most of us in our lives to show the, the grace of Jesus in our lives. We show the grace of Jesus to, our market, to the marketplace that we go to, to the workplace that we live in. So that people take notice of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing in our lives. And at that point, we get to talk about what we know. We get to talk about what Jesus has done for us. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter assumes people are going to be asking because there's something different about your life. So in one sense, you are an evangelist, but in another sense, there is this gift that does that. Now, how about Bible teachers? So that's me. A lot of times, Bible teachers forget that a lot of people don't understand the finer points of theology or don't enjoy arguing about them until 3 a.m. in the morning. My wife is one of the people who says, well, you stop talking, you know, because I'm like, oh, somebody wants to talk about superlapsarianism? Awesome. Let's start talking about it. You're like, what in the world? Yeah, don't give yourself an aneurysm. Google it if you want, but you're just going to lose your mind. But, you know, it's, but, but it's that kind of, my wife's like, stop talking about these things. I don't want to talk about it. I want to go to sleep. I'm like, okay. I, there's a Bible teacher that, that I enjoy, and he said this statement. He said, he said, a deep and accurate theology is essential in order to be an effective parent. Now, I guess I agree, but I also disagree with that because some parents aren't gifted in wrapping their heads around deep theology. I know some parents who simply love Jesus deeply. They know he's God, Savior, Sovereign, and they humbly raise their kids to have and live in that simple faith, and they are great parents. Now, there's nothing wrong with rigorous training. I think messed up theology can lead to horribly messed up lies. But what if when you hear the name Karl Barth, all you think is like Bart Simpson? Right? Uh, sounds like Bart Simpson. Or, or if I say, like, John Calvin, you're like, Calvin and Hobbes? I mean, it's like all you, I mean, does that make you a bad parent? Maybe, if that's all you, here's my teaching book, uh, it's called uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. You know, but some people feel guilty because they don't know all the big words. 
Oh, ecclesiology and eschatology, they sound the same. They're not, but hey, they sound a little bit the same. Uh, they can't pronounce names in the Bible. My friend Brad, one of the best parents I've ever met, he has a hard time pronouncing Bible names. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, he always pronounces it King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Every time. Maybe when I say, hey, open to 1 Peter chapter 3, and you're like, what? Table of contents, table of contents, 1,257, always already reading it. You know, maybe, maybe that's you. You get to take hope because Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to you, to you. How about missionaries? Missionaries are constantly being put on a pedestal, constantly up on a pedestal, you know, because they have dedication, they have sacrifice. Uh, Many of us don't want to go live in foreign countries and and eat bugs and and dirt. Uh, We view them as being far more committed than any other Christian out there. But can I tell you, honestly, missionaries aren't more committed. They're simply fulfilling the gifting that God has given them. If you aren't called to be a missionary, and when I say that, I mean overseas missionary, because you're all called to be a missionary in one sense. Uh, And if you go overseas anyway, you'll be out of God's will. You will. I have heard overseas missionaries sometimes speak to a crowd of people, and they said, and they would say, everybody needs to heed the call of God and stop clinging to your comfort and, and go overseas. What they fail to realize is if we all actually did that, they would starve to death because no one would be supporting them because we'd all be over there. God has gifted all of us differently. I know some missionaries who come back to the States, and they're really good at what they do over there. But when they come back to the States, they really don't know how to function in, the, in our society. They can't really hold on a job well because it's like they've only learned how to do that. They should stay where God has gifted them, and we should support them in the midst of that. I mean, some people are natural risk takers. They just naturally take risks. And we have to be careful not to idolize them or vilify them. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, which is like all these people who did these amazing things of faith, the one guy who did the craziest thing, Abraham, 65 years old, packs up his family, and, and they haul off to another country. That, that's the craziest thing in there. But he only does it because God showed up and said, Abraham, go. I'm going to go with you. This is what we're going to do. And Abraham's like, okay. The risk he took is because God led him in that risk. If you are hardwired for adventure, great. But you can't judge other people who aren't. And if you aren't, you can't judge people who are. There is no reason to feel guilty about maybe you not wanting to personally go to Bangkok and personally stop sex trafficking or wade through the bugs in the Amazon or dig wells in Africa. What you do is you stick with the gifts that God has given you and you support the people who are called to go and do those things. You support them because those things need to be done. But maybe God is calling you in another way to support them so they can get those things done. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, if God wants you to do something crazy, he's going to let you know. If it's bungee jumping, invite me. If it's eating bugs, don't call. Okay, I'm going to be okay if you never call me. And I think a lot of guilt and it can be traced to a term that we use in the church a lot called full-time ministry. It implies that people who work in a church serve God full-time where everybody else are simply part-time. And that's dumb. You know, if you're a Christian, you are in full-time ministry, period. That's it. You're in it. You are a priest of God sent to this world on mission to represent the one and only true God to this world. The only difference between those who serve in a church and those who serve outside one is maybe who pays the salary and what setting the ministry is carried out. You can stock shelves at Walmart, you can clean pools, you can sit in a cubicle. It's all ministry. What you do is every bit as important as maybe somebody who works in a church. 
but for some reason that message is almost never heard. Guys, all your work is worship. All of it is worship. Larry Osborne tells a story about a pastor a few years ago who got busted for having an affair. I know it's all too common in the church today. But another church hires this guy, and the pastor of the church gets up in front of everybody. He says, this man is simply too gifted to waste his time selling shoes. Now imagine, you're in that church, and you sell shoes. How do you feel? Right, second-class citizen. And it's sad that churches are full of people who serve God with great distinction in their job but feel like spiritual garbage. Too many people have been told that serving God at your job is second class in the kingdom and it is completely untrue. It is gift projection by a bunch of dummies behind pulpits spouting Pharisee logic. That's all that it is. And I get the right to blast pastors because I am one. Some other pastors don't like me. I'm okay with that, okay? But one of the things that bugged me most about pastors is this expectation of privilege. And it's just like the Pharisees. Luke eleven forty three says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. They love the greetings. They love the title. Oh, no, call me reverend. Oh, call me pastor. Oh, call me this. So many pastors talk about servanthood, but none of them actually serve. They love to preach for you to give up your seat to somebody new, but they got their parking spot right up front with their name on it. It's like, what, what is up with, with that? I, I sometimes try and think of any of the perks that I get. You guys just mock and heckle me, so I don't know. Is that my perk? Uh, no, some of you guys are really nice. You, you, like the perk I get is some of you guys make me cookies, which is awesome. Okay. But if I ever saw a perk like that as something that I was entitled to, it would start to rot my soul. And I'd become just like the Pharisees. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's interesting is that God seems to have arranged the body of Christ in such a way that the parts that receive greater honor are actually the least important and the least necessary, which is very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 22, this is what the Apostle Paul says about this. He says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, I'll try and put this in context for you. Uh, today, on the cover of Rolling Stone, people don't make it because their liver is amazing. Usually the liver is shot, right? And that's when you make it to the cover of Rolling Stone. Or, or Vogue and Cosmo, you don't make it on the cover of Vogue and Cosmo because of your brain. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Or how about because of your pancreas, okay? You, you make it because of your hair and your eyes, your complexion, and your killer abs. But are any of those... You know, are any of the, the hair and the eyes and the killer, are any of those things really vital to life itself? Not really. Larry Osborne writes this. He says, you can live and prosper with hair that's a rat nest and a pear-shaped body, but you won't survive long with a diseased heart, and yet that is what we usually display in our culture as the ideal. All of these messed up people, we project our miserable lives onto to say, oh, if I could just be like that, I want to be like them. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. It exposes our own diseased hearts for what they are. We are want to be Pharisees. And what's really interesting to me is whenever strong persecution broke out against the church in history, usually gifts like mine are forced underground. 
You know, there's no public teaching. There's no admonition. There's no evangelism in, in that way. And yet the church grew, and it thrived just fine because it's all of our gifts working together, and that's what makes the church the church. All these things working together. And sometimes we forget that. So my big question for you is, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? A lot of people don't even know. So today I'm doing something I almost never do. Uh, on, on your notes, there's actually a link to a spiritual gifts test you can take. Uh, if, if you don't know how to use the Internet, there's printed copies in the back. Uh, we, there are, there's a youth one as well as an adult one. We didn't print the youth one at all because they all know how to work the Internet. Okay? And maybe you don't have, if you have a smartphone, you've got a QR reader. I put a, we put a QR code on the notes itself. So you can just scan that, and it'll take you right to it. Uh, but go through and figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Now, the reason I, I a lot of times don't like to hand these things out, because a lot of times when you take these tests, it's more about how you're feeling at the time. I mean, maybe uh, something horrible happened in your life, and you're really down in the dumps. You take a spiritual gift test, it's like, I have the gift of my life stinks. You know? or, or something really great happened, you're like, I have the gift of everything, it's so amazing. You know, take it a couple times so you kind of get a baseline of where you're at, but kind of start to figure out what your gifts actually are. And once you figure out, you embrace those gifts. You live in those gifts. You, you love the gifts God has given you. Jesus redeemed us from a completely lost way of life, from wanting what other people have and judging others who don't have what we have. We are supposed to use all that he has given to, number one, glorify him, but also, secondly, to serve one another. And so we figure out what these gifts are. We begin to live and walk in those. And, and a lot of people don't know what they are. So, again, we want you to know what they are. Uh, I think sometimes we say, should we be do, doing more? Yeah, I, I think maybe we should in one sense. We should love our neighbors better. We should love our spouses better. We should serve our kids better. But ultimately, that will come out of an understanding that Jesus has first loved us. We must stop living as Pharisees and be living as children of God that understand that our great God has given us gifts. And when we begin to understand those gifts, if we think everybody should have ours or we want somebody else's, all we are is Pharisees. And we don't want you to live as Pharisees. We want you to live understanding the great goodness of a God who gives us gifts because he puts us in the game. He doesn't throw us out out there without a mitt. He puts us in the game and says, here's gifts. This is what you're going to do. It's going to be amazing. You're going to bring glory to me. You're going to serve one another. The church is going to be built up. It's going to be awesome. And too often we're like, oh, I want that. God's like, I gave you this. You're like, but I want that. You know, seriously, God has gifted you. Live in the gifting. It's his call what he gives you. So live in the grace and the goodness of that call. Uh, it's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week. Break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because this is the place where we get to lay all those burdens down. Of feeling like we're not good enough. Or feeling like we need that. Or feeling like everybody else has to have our gifts. You lay it all down. And you refocus and your eyes get set upon the person of Christ where our eyes actually should be. And we begin to live and walk the life that he calls us to because our eyes are where they are supposed to be. On him, first and foremost. So we invite you guys to take communion to be some deacons in the back. And if you guys need prayer, they'd love to pray with you about this. The band's going to come up. I kind of freaked him out because I guess I did it out of order. That one, uh... Hey, flip that switch so the fan comes on. Top one. That one. Ah, it's hot in here, right? That's just because it's smoking. <laughs> so uh, they'd love to pray with you. Uh, you know, maybe maybe about trying to figure out what your gifts are, or maybe you maybe know what they are, but you don't know how to do something with those. I, I, I was reading this article last week, 
and it, it's kind of interesting. There's this, this church back east, and what they did is they noticed that they had a very large population uh, in their surrounding area where people were doing those, those payday loans where they're getting, you know, the, the thing where their next paycheck came out like in, in two weeks, and so they get an advance on that. And there's exorbitant interest rates on those things. And, and they saw this as a huge need. So what they did is they went through all the process, and they started their own credit union. And what they did is they're reaching out to those people, believers and non-believers alike, in their community, and they're saying, hey, instead of that, you know, if we start to do this here, in a couple months we can get you out of that cycle. Really, really amazing. But why? It's because somebody has some gifts. Administration, you know, uh, which I don't have. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, looking at how to deal with finances in a, in a proper way. I mean, it's, it's amazing when we start to think outside the box of the giftings and you look at the culture around us and how we can build it up and people can come to know Jesus because of the gifts he has given us. Because it's all about bringing glory to God, building up his body, loving on one another. I mean, that's just amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, there's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back. Uh, we give because giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done, just like communion is a response to what God has done. You've got to get up and do it. There's also some food and stuff in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat because we want you to connect with other people. Because one of the best ways that, that you'll understand your gifts and how to live those out is by bouncing it off other people. You know, what are your gifts? What are my gifts? Oh, that's why we always argue. You know, th- that kind of thing. It's fun. Or not. Okay. So, uh, but you figure those things out. And you start to, you start to bounce things. Because God intends for us to live in community with one another. Because we encourage one another to use these gifts for his glory and the joy that he has placed in our lives. God is simply amazing. He doesn't leave any, any of us without gifts. So figure out what they are and live in those because God has gifted you and he has given you great grace and mercy to do so. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to trust you. Father, in all the ways that we want other people's gifts or we want others to have our gifts. Teach us to take a step back from that and simply trust you to be the giver of the gift. That we wouldn't be a people who seek out gifts. We'd be a people who have our eyes upon you. We would understand that you are the one who has sought us and loved us and bought us and brought us home. And that our lives be transformed and changed because of what you have first done. That our, our eyes would get off of ourselves. And they'd be placed where they need to be placed upon you. And then we would trust the gifts you have placed within our lives. And we begin to understand how to use those. Again, for your glory. But also for your people's great joy. That our hearts and minds will be set upon the things that you have set them on. And we'd stop being so distracted by so many things that don't really seem to matter so much. And we become a people who simply trust you for the great grace that you continue to bestow. And we, in turn, would then live lives of great grace before others, bringing all things back to you, always focused on you, always lifting you up. Because when we lift you up, you will draw all men you. Teach us to live in the gifts you have provided. Teach us to honor you with what you have already given us. We ask this in your son's good name.
Amen.